On this episode of the GESC Podcast, we get a chance to sit down with two actors from the upcoming production of The Miracle Worker. Before we get there, though, let's do our due diligence and research. We're going to find out what it's like to be a child in the 19th century, what education for the blind was like at that time, and how board games really didn't mess around back then. Actors to your places, podcast listeners to your earbuds, join us as we make our great escape. So the characters we're going to focus on today are Aunt Ev and Viney, who are being played by Cat Whaley and Donna Danes, respectively. Now, let's talk about Viney first. Viney is a Keller family servant, and she has two children, Martha and Percy, who are friends and playmates to Helen. Now, I did my best to try to find some information about this person historically, but I'm afraid my research came up a bit short. However, I found a plethora of sources on the subject of childhood. The first source I'd like to look into is a project titled What Was Life Like for Children in the 19th Century and How Is It Different from the Lives of Children Today? This is by Gina Sullivan, and this is through the America on the World Stage program, a teaching American history grant program. As far as childhood goes, and the concept of childhood, of course, it's radically different in the 19th century than it is in the early 21st. There have been volumes and volumes of research published on this, so take this as the very tippy-tip top of the iceberg of the subject. Now, imagine if you would that you are a seven-year-old in the 19th century in America. It's all going to be fun and games and running around and playing with your friends, right? Well, that depends. The average 19th century American household would have to rely on that seven-year-old and its siblings to make a living. Now, it depends, of course, on several different factors as to whether or not you were a child who would have to do a lot of physical labor or if your childhood was focused on simply that, being a child. Now, if you came from an agricultural background, chances are you would be working. Most of the child labor at the time was agricultural. However, following the Industrial Revolution, we saw new avenues open up for child labor. That sounds like an enthusiastic statement, but it shouldn't be. I'll spare you the gruesome details of children working in factories and industry back in the 19th century. If you really have a stomach for it, by all means, take a look at how London functioned at that time. So, with the advances of industrialism, we still saw child labor in the agricultural sector as the dominant space of work. However, and I'm quoting directly from Sullivan's research here, approximately one child in six worked in coal mines, textile mills, garment industry sweatshops, or factories of all kinds. Children between the ages of 10 and 19 often provided a quarter of the family income. Now, of course, this didn't apply to all children in the 19th century. For those who had the financial means, life was a bit different. I want to highlight two indicators of a family that is financially stable in the mid to late 19th century that we can look at together. One is the concept of the nursery. If you had enough money, in the 1860s, nurseries began to take off in the U.S. We're talking about the physical space that one could dedicate for a child to have a playroom, to have a place to have security and safety. This functioned in many different ways. Not only was it a place for a child just to kind of cut loose and be a child, but it was also a place to protect them from accidents and diseases, which was a threat to many children. Now, the second indicator, which I think is infinitely more interesting to talk about, would be board games. Now, board games were really taking off in the 19th century. One in particular I want to highlight, and that is called The Mansion of Happiness, an Instructive, Moral, and Entertaining Amusement. And that is indeed the full title. Now, many people consider this to be the first 
what we would consider modern board game. It's certainly not the first board game. The Mesopotamians were playing board games, so don't even get me started on that. But if you were to sit down and play this versus, say, the royal game of Ur, this would seem a lot more user-friendly and familiar to you. Now, the point of the game is to get to the Mansion of Happiness, which is pretty much heaven. Along the way, as you go across 66 different spaces, you could land on different vice or virtue spaces. Now, my favorite thing about this game that I found in my research about it is the language used to describe what happens to the players. For instance, whoever possesses piety, honesty, temperance, gratitude, prudence, truth, chastity, sincerity, is entitled to advance six numbers toward the mansion of happiness. Whoever gets into a passion must be taken to the water and have a ducking to cool him. Whoever possesses audacity, cruelty, immodesty, or ingratitude must return to his former situation till his turn comes to spin again and not even think of happiness, much less partake of it. Wow. And I thought not being able to pass go and get $200 was brutal enough. Now, before I lose focus and this turns into a podcast about board gaming, let's get a chance to get back to our characters. Let's talk about Aunt Ev. Now, Aunt Ev is Captain Keller's sister, and she very much cares for Helen. Some could say she maybe spoils her a bit, but what's important about her character, an underlining concept of Aunt Ev, is that she supports the idea of getting help for Helen. What would that help look like in the 19th century? Well, let's take a look. Now, according to the American Action Fund for Blind Children and Adults, the history of educating and rehabilitation for the blind starts in 1784. Now, by that, of course, I mean our modern style, or what we would see as connected to our modern modes and means of helping the blind. We could get into the Middle Ages, but we simply don't have time for that. So in 1784, the first school for the blind was established in France, and then this idea began to spread all throughout Europe shortly thereafter. Now, in 1820, we see the invention of the, as they say here, tactile reading and writing system by none other than Louis Braille. 1829 is huge. I know Louis Braille was huge, of course, too, so this must be a big deal, right? 1829 signals the first residential school for the blind in America. Now, this is significant not just to the history of the education and rehabilitation of the blind, but also to our story, The Miracle Worker. When it opens, the school is called the New England Asylum for the Blind, but later changes its name to the Perkins School for the Blind. Yes, the very same institution that Annie Sullivan came from. If you get a chance, and I highly recommend that you do this, check out the Perkins School for the Blind's website. They are still up and running. They have a fantastic section on their legacy and history. And I just want to share a few interesting facts I discovered in my research. Now, Samuel Gridley Howe was the first director of the school. He was so dedicated to helping children that he ended up creating his own system for printing and reading, and he began publishing books on campus. He also made huge improvements and changes to the mechanical Braille typewriter. Here's a little story that they post on their page right before the Helen Keller tale. Samuel Gridley Howe, in the early days of the Perkins School of the Blind, heard about a young woman by the name of Laura Bridgman, who had lost her hearing and her sight uh, as a result of an illness. After many early breakthroughs when it came to assigning names to objects and teaching Laura how to work with the finger spelling method, 
Howe was surprised to see the intense level of accomplishment by this young woman. She began to enroll in the regular curriculum, as they list it here, and she had a chance to do different things such as physical exercise, knitting, crocheting, and sewing in addition to her language acquisition. So the nice part about the story is that Laura comes back to the school and becomes a teacher herself and does so until her death in 1889. Now, it's noted also here on the website that even though Helen Keller is considered the person that we associate with the Perkins School for the Blind, that before her, Laura was considered to be the most famous member of the school as well as product of the school itself. To quote them here, although she became virtually unknown later in the 20th century, in her childhood, Laura was said to be second in fame only to Queen Victoria. And speaking of famous queens, let's turn things over to Cat Whaley and Donna Danes as we get a chance to sit down and talk to them about the GESC's production of The Miracle Worker. Okay, thank you so much for joining us. Could you take just a moment to introduce yourself so we know what your voice sounds like and please tell us which character you'll be playing in The Miracle Worker. Uh, my name is Cat Whaley and I'm playing Aunt Ev. And I'm Donna Danes and I'm playing Viney. Excellent. Uh, a few questions for you. So our first here, please take a minute to describe your experiences working with GESC. How is it like or unlike other theater companies? Well, <laughs> it's always interesting. And I say that in using that word in the most positive way. Th this, of course, is our, our first experience in this space. But in the original space, uh, one never knew just what was going to be with us in the green room, <laughs> whether it would be boards or costumes or many, many chairs, depending on what the, what the cast numbers were. Uh, there's, always, there's always been, in my experience with this theater, a sense of adventure <laughs> and, and a sense of something really dynamic going on because those of us who, who have been involved with the theater from, from its beginning have, uh, I think all of us felt the same way that this, this sense of really being part of the birth of something. Mm -hmm. Not that it isn't wonderful to uh, do shows with, with other companies as well, but ones that are more established mm -hmm. don't have quite that sense of excitement. Well, this is only my second show with them. Um, I was in uh, Arsenic and Old Lace last fall and played Aunt Martha. And so I'm worried a little that I'm getting typecast as the aunt. <laughs> but um, uh, I don't have a lot to compare it with. I uh, did a lot of plays when I was in high school, but haven't done anything really in 30 years until last fall. So, so I'm just kind of getting back into it. Oh, welcome back. That's great. <laughs> great. So speaking of your characters, I'm curious, uh, what is unique about your character's perspective? Well, with, with Viney, um, this is an interesting historical time for a character who is a servant. The, the play takes place in the Deep South, and it's post-Civil War, and Viney has been with this family quite a while, but there's been a sea change that has happened in the country as a result of the Civil War. I'm wondering if maybe Viney is feeling a little bit of that in herself mm -hmm. as she relates to the people in this household, maybe a little more freely than she might have right. earlier. I think Aunt Ev is um, very kind. She truly cares about 
Helen, she's frustrated that she doesn't like like everyone else in the family. She doesn't know, you know, how to how to deal with her. Mm -hmm. But uh, she truly cares for the child, and I think she truly cares for Kate. Although she is uh, Captain Keller's sister, so she would have been involved in the family prior to being the second marriage. Um, I think she truly likes Kate and wants to help the situation. And I think she's a proper southern southern lady <laughs> who. Um, who enjoys sparring with the men killer. Mm. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Especially knowing Max personally, I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> How has playing these characters changed your own perception of the story or the play? So you've seen things from their point of view. How has that changed how you perceive the story now? Well, I'm thinking of what I felt about Viney when I read the play before auditions. And then the the whole pro process of doing cold reads at auditions and that sort of thing. And I thought, well, you know, she's going to be sort of a fun character to play. She's, mm -hmm. you know, a, got a little um, spice to her. Mm -hmm. But now that we're, we've been in rehearsal and, and all of these characters are, are coming to life, I'm seeing a depth of her that I would never have expected before we started this. And it's been it's it's been very fun to see, and it and it's all it's also been interesting to give some thought to how to express some of those feelings that I think Viney has toward all of the members of this family that she's very fond of, uh, in a way that's maybe not scripted. You know, I'm playing around with with some ideas about how to uh, non non verbally express her feelings toward the people in the family. And I wouldn't have thought about that before rehearsal started. Right. Yeah, I, I would kind of second that with my character as well, that um, there is a lot more depth to the character than I kind of realized at the beginning on the onset. Um, she truly cares about Helen and the family and wants to help. And she's the one who's encouraging them to seek this other doctor. And um, so, yeah, there's, a, there's just a lot more. Um, she's really feisty, <laughs> which I, I guess I didn't pick up before. Excellent. Now, what do you want the audience to discover about your characters over the course of the play or by the end of the play? Well, for me, I, I would like the audience to feel that this character is a, is a really important part of this family, not only as it's currently showing itself with, with the second wife of, uh, of Kate, <clears throat> but also, also as, as somebody who really has a sense of the history of these people and is, is therefore somebody who can show her affection as it, it has extended over time, rather than just in, in the present moment. It's, yeah, it's pretty much the same thing, really. Um, our characters, in a way, are, are sort of parallel. They are. You know, they really are. They're, they're, um, they're both characters who care about the family, and, and, and there's a lot more going on, I think, that you don't see necessarily mm -hmm. in the play. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that's what we both are trying to do with our characters is to is to kind of bring forward um, the feelings that they have towards the family. Okay. Now, what would you say to members or potential audience members who are undecided about whether or not they should come and see our production? And Kat, so Donna doesn't steal your answer again, <laughs> I'm gonna have you go first. <laughs> I have been blown away by Rachel portrayal of Helen mm -hmm. she is doing fabulous I mean it's just amazing and um, people are familiar with the play they've seen the um, 
uh, Anne Bancroft version on TV, probably. Um, it is, I think it's going to be very moving. Um, people will be really impressed. Well, I think some of the, uh, a couple of things that the audience is going to be surprised at is that the, the, the tension and the growth between Annie and, and Helen is, uh, is just a joy to behold. In addition, however, there's a lot of humor in this play. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people perhaps initially think of the miracle worker as, you know, having a yuck factor anywhere. <laughs> and there are some there are some cute parts to this mm -hmm. show. And there's also a great relationship between Captain Keller and and his um, young adult or older teenage son. Um, and I, I found mm -hmm. that very interesting to, yeah. to read about and also to watch develop. Asher is just phenomenal <laughs> as Jimmy. Yeah, the interpersonal dynamics is, is really interesting. There's just a lot kind of going on non-verbally. There's a lot non-verbal <laughs> in this play. Um, and oh my gosh, if, they, the, if Annie and Helen and uh, Kate come out of it without bruises and it's quite physical it's action there's there's action. happiness there's action there's tears there's laughter that's everything that's true <laughs> fantastic well, i'm looking forward to it thank you again so much kat and donna we look forward to seeing the production thank you thank you what a fun group of people we have working on this production, and I am so lucky to get a chance to sit down and talk to them every week. Uh, and yes, the sounds that you're hearing in the background are indeed the rehearsal process. You probably heard the voice of Kim Ford, the director. Remember, we talked to her in the first episode that was dedicated to the Miracle Worker. And I'm guessing that the sounds of uh, combat up there are coming from Rachel and Sarah, who we also had a chance to sit down in our first Miracle Worker episode. Now, if you want to get a chance to come out and see this wonderful production, don't forget, we start July 20th. That is a Thursday. We have so many cool things to share with you at The Great Escape that we cannot wait until Friday to roll around, so we have to start on Thursday. But Thursday through Sunday, we'll be running two weekends starting July 20th. If you want additional details about the production or The Great Escape Stage Company, please check out our website at greatescapestagecompany.com. Check us out on Facebook. Give us a like and a share while you're there. And also, while you log into Facebook, take a minute to check out Veronica Louise Photography. Veronica's our photographer. She's been creating those thumbnails for us. They're wonderful. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Veronica. Thanks again to Donna Danes and Kat Whaley for sitting down with us this week. Another very special thanks to Kyle Booth for composing our music. And big news, too, guys. We are now officially on iTunes. So... If you have iTunes on your desktop or laptop, go ahead and check out the podcast section and search Great Escape Stage Company. Or if you have a handy-dandy mobile app, look for us there too and you can track us down. It's the future. You can have the Great Escape with you no matter where you go. How amazing is that? So join us next week as we come back together to talk more about The Miracle Worker. I am so excited. I hope that you are too. I am Antonio Barroso, your host. Thank you so much for joining us.